New research on ancient sea monsters may rock the scientific community. And then we meet a young woman who spent most of her early life in a haunted house. But we're not talking about cold spots or weird noises late at night. This woman's house was haunted by Darth Vader. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun arm wrestling people and just general just general hijinks. I hope you guys were able to get away with all of your Dennis the Menace-esque stunts today. But someone who never gets away, someone who unfortunately gets caught by the police every single time, give it up for our newest Patreon supporter, Aaron Costatanti. Costatanti. He's like shaking his head. Nope. I don't know how you pronounce it. Costanini? Still, still getting to know Aaron. You're going to be our captain, our pilot of this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand it. You don't want me to butcher your name. You don't want me to butcher your name on a podcast. That's fine. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. And I got Aaron coming in. And, and what's this? He's wearing some straight up juggalo makeup. Whoop, whoop. And that is an ad because I am currently on a new episode of the podcast, The Asylum Case Studies, where me and host Tressa review the Asylum film Death Racers, starring the Insane Clown Posse. So if you're looking for even more Jason, who isn't, really who isn't, check out The Asylum Case Studies. I'll have the episode in the show notes. And we get to whoop whoop and juggalo and juggalette and ninjas. And I know all the slang. I used to hang out with a bunch of juggalos. So if you want to hear us uh, wax poetic about a ICP movie, definitely check out The Asylum Case Studies. The link is in the show notes. Whoop whoop. Aaron's like, I'm not a juggalo and I don't even know what you're talking about. Aaron, let me go ahead and toss you the command codes for the Dead Rabbit Dreadnought, our massive battleship. Hop aboard, laddies. Everyone walk up that gangplank. We are setting sail because we're about to uncover a truly bizarre maritime mystery. <laughs> Giant warship with little Captain Aaron. His <laughs> long little captain's outfit. I'm going hard on Aaron today. He's dressed up like a juggalo. Now he's dressed up like Donald Duck and no pants. But he's the captain of this vessel. And Aaron, take us out to the deepest, darkest parts of the ocean in this mighty, mighty warship. This this story, I love this story. I read about it about a, a, maybe a week or two ago, but I already had those episodes prepped and ready to go. And I was like, I can't wait to tell you guys about this one. We're going to be sitting down with a man. <laughs> You're like, oh man, you said in the beginning there's a sea monster. We'll get to the sea monster, but first off, let's introduce into the cramped cabins of the Dead Rabbit Dreadnought, Mark McMiniman. So Mark is a paleontologist. He's the professor of geology at Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts, and he recently gave an interview for NPR. He's too good to appear on Dead Rabbit Radio, but he did do an interview for NPR, and I found this story when Mysterious Universe published it on their website. So I want to give them a shout out too, because I wouldn't have known about the story if it wasn't for MU covering it. This is dope. So what Mark has been doing is he's been looking at bones. He's been looking at bones on the seafloor. And and he has this theory, and this is really controversial in the scientific community. He goes, let's go back in time to the Triassic era. This is his theory. Back in the Triassic era, there had to have been massive 
cephalopods, massive, those are the ones with the tentacles and stuff, octopus, squid, type of entity, type of creature, roaming the deep oceans of the world. And this is why I think this thing had to have existed. Because he says, listen, we, all of the fossil records for octopuses, octopi, you could fit in a suitcase. They, first off, they're all just kind of army and stuff like that. It's a bunch of muscles and cartilage. I, I said army. I'm not quoting him specifically. He goes, so when they die, the chances of any creature being fossilized is fairly low. And then if there are fossils, they're deep underwater. But he goes, uh, octopuses and squid, there's not much that can actually fossilize on them. He goes, we can find fossilized eggs. And with octopuses, we can find fossilized beaks. And with the squids, we can find fossilized gladiuses which is this bone in its head. He goes, other than that, we can fit pretty much all of the fossils we have of the octopi family in a suitcase. He goes, there's one species of octopus. The only reason we know it existed is that we found fossils of their food. We found fossils of these shells with a hole bore through them, like a something went, and we have modern day octopuses that do that. So we, but that's the, we have no bones of octopuses during this era when we're finding these shells with the holes bored in them. And he goes, we all agree that it was probably an octopus doing this thing. So first off, the fossil record for cephalopods is very, very small. But his hypothesis is there used to be massive kraken-like creatures. That's the word he'll use a lot is the actual, the Triassic kraken roaming the oceans and he has two reasons why these things had to exist he goes one we've been finding the bones of ichthyosaurs and ichthyosaurs were these giant 45 feet long sea monsters i mean these things would be like sharks sharks would be like sardines to these dudes and we know they existed and he goes what we're finding is we're finding their bones at the bottom of the ocean so we get down an autopsy team, and we can tell that these things had their neck broken, and it looks like they were dragged down because the bones shouldn't be in like this area, and they definitely shouldn't be in this pattern. So he has these photographs, and it shows the bones of the Ichthyosaurus are laid out in a geometric pattern. And he goes, listen, if you took if you took one of these creatures and you killed it and it fell on the ground, the bones would not fall in this order. And basically it was like the pieces were almost next to each other. It made this weird geometric pattern, it looked almost like a little road and it would kind of just taper off. And he goes, listen, I've we've done a lot of photographs. We've done a lot of studies on these things. He goes, based on the way the mud is down there, it's not currents. Because otherwise, if the currents were strong enough to move the bones randomly into this position, it would have moved the mud all the way. So he goes, it has nothing to do with the currents at all. And the fact that this would fall randomly like this, maybe. But they've found the same geometric pattern in other locations. With also using the bones of these giant sea monsters. So I, I, I surmise that there must have been a creature big enough to smash these guys, punch them in the face, break their neck, drag them to the seafloor, and eat them. And the scientific community goes, well, you don't have any proof of that. There's no proof that there was anything this big that was actually had tendrils, like it was an octopus or a squid. But that's not even the most interesting part of this. The fact that there might have been a giant sea monster back in the day, I mean, probably, right? 
And it would make sense we don't want to really have any fossils of these. That's not the reason why this is such a controversial thing that Mark is saying this stuff. He said that the way the bones are at the bottom, it could not have happened accidentally. The squid put it that way on purpose. The squid actually lined up. It would kill these creatures as it was decomposing, was removing its bones and purposely laid out a geometric pattern at the seafloor. And so people go, why? It could have been a sign of like a breeding display, basically. It was almost just like instinctual. Like they would put these out and it would be like a marker for their territory. And so the other squids would see it and be like, oh, he's sexy. <laughs> he can totally kill these monsters. Look at this giant pattern. He actually has a more controversial answer than that. He says, I think they were drawing pictures of themselves. He said the way, this is, so, this is so interesting, the way that the bone, and there'll be photos in the show notes, the way that the bone pieces are laid out is the same way of a long tendril with suction cups. So you see these little pieces and they kind of match together like a paved road, but it also would, if you drew a picture of an octopus's arm, it would look like this display of bones on the bottom of the ocean. And they found these in multiple locations. And he goes, my theory, and I know it's super controversial, that these creatures were so advanced, they had a sense of self, they would draw pictures of themselves with the bones of the dead. That's dope, isn't it? I mean, I read that and my imagination was just going wild. And to be, before I go in more into my imagination part, let's step back to the more rational part. There have been people saying this isn't this isn't true. They said, listen, we know octopuses do have a habit of building these things called midden piles, where they actually take the refuse of their kills and kind of pile them up. But they do not do it in a geometric fashion. So the fact that we have modern day species not doing it, but they do create this pile of, of rubbish that that is probably what... First off, science says there is no squid that big. They just weren't that big. But let's assume that they were, just for to help you out, Mark. They wouldn't be building these piles on purpose. It wouldn't be some sort of design that they're doing. If anything, it's habit. And, you know, the, the old thing, the, the scientists who dispute this go, listen, I you can see patterns anywhere. I can look up at the sky and see a, a fat man smoking a cigar. He's looking at a cloud. He's not actually watching the guy float off the earth. I left the I left out the part. He's looking at clouds. You can find patterns anywhere. So he goes, the fact that you can look at a pattern of bones, you could find a pattern there. You could say it looks like an octopus's arm or squid's arm with the suction cups, but you know, it could be anything. And it's interesting because they go, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And that's a very, very common quote. And Mark has an answer for that. Mark says, yeah, that is a very common quote. I, I think Carl Sagan was the one who came up with it. But he goes, extraordinary evidence for extraordinary claims. Let me lay this out for you. We have nine dead ichthyosaurs at the bottom of the ocean with twisted necks and broken ribs. So right there, that tells us that there was something big enough to kill these things on a regular basis. And then, quote, then the pieces of the bones or skeletal elements have been organized in a very non, shall we say, natural way. This, to me, is extraordinary evidence. And it demands explanation and has eluded the explanation or has eluded proper explanation by paleontologists for a generation now. 
it's time that we figured this out, unquote. So that, he's saying the evidence is there. Now we got to figure out how this happened. I'm not, we have extraordinary evidence. We have to believe that something was breaking these guys' necks. Something had to be huge. And in the NPR interview, they were saying a 40, something that was big enough to take down one of these 45-foot ichthyosauruses would be the equivalent of those old wood carvings we'd see of octopi crushing a galleon, crushing this giant wooden boat. He goes, they'd have to be that big. And Mark's like, yeah, totally. Like, this thing is massive, and it could be incredibly smart. It's funny because a long time ago, we did an episode, Are Octopuses from Outer Space? And that was a really fun episode. I'll put it in the show notes. And we talked about, like, why the, uh, the octopus, the squid, they're so much more advanced than a lot of the other aquatic species. They're a lot more advanced than a lot of land animals as well. The, the, I remember reading this thing a long time ago. I think it was the octopus. The problem with the octopus, it has a very short lifespan. It's in a couple years, right? If they live to be 80, 90, 100 years old, they would, they would control the ocean, they're so smart, but they just have a very, very short lifespan and they don't breed a lot like a lot of other species. Humans can outbreed octopuses. I think it's also interesting that before we began to sail the oceans, which was very relatively late in human development, there was no natural predators for a lot of these things in the ocean until we got on the oceans and started killing them. So if it had been another couple million years right before we were sailing, who knows who would have won that arms race in evolution? And it's so interesting, too, because I, I hear all the time about the Fermi paradox and how come we don't see any proof of aliens. If aliens are really out there, how come they're not visiting? How come they're not signaling to us? And there's all sorts of stuff about that. If there's really like 300 million life planets that can support life in the galaxy, just in the galaxy alone, how come we've seen no proof? That's such a human concept. Think about this. Think about this. There is a possibility of a meteorite strike wiping out the dinosaurs and the land mammals in our history. And that left the oceans alone to really breed in. The fact that we came out of the oceans and conquered the land, we forget that the oceans are two-thirds of the planet. And if, you, if, if the main life form on the planet was aquatic, if that was the highest life form on the planet, you would not leave that planet. For one... You may be so deep in the ocean, you could have a fully functional civilization, advanced technology civilization under the water, under the sea with King Triton. You could have an alien race that is completely evolved in the ocean that didn't even know stars existed. And everything, they got all the geothermal energy that they need. They're fully exploring all of the caves in the mountainous regions underneath the ocean. To them, going to the surface would be like going to heaven. They wouldn't be able to breathe either. And let's say that they do discover that there is a world, I'm not just talking about the soil outside the ocean, but that they can look up in the night sky and see stars and see galaxies and go, I want to fly up there. One, they'd have no concept of flight. They already live in this 3D environment. We live in a very, I know we're three-dimensional, but we live on an earthly environment. We didn't start flying till way late in the game. They wouldn't even think about flying. We thought of flying because we looked up at birds and go, oh, I want to be that. <laughs> they, they, don't, they just see other fish. Fully functional civilization underwater. Secondly, gunpowder, rocket technology. Would any of this even be possible 
with an underwater society, if it was fully evolved on an aquatic planet or a planet like Earth, which is two-thirds water, and all of the land life, all of the creatures on land were killed, would you invent rockets? Would a rocket work underwater? How does gunpowder, how does fire work underwater? You need rockets to even consider leaving the planet. You need to take that step. But let's say they do develop rocket technology. We can go to space for a limited amount of time. We have to expend a ton of fuel to get up there. And we have oxygen. But imagine if you didn't need oxygen. Imagine if you needed tons of water. You needed to constantly be in water. Now the amount of force, of thrust it takes to leave your planet... And you have to have all this water on the ship. It's it's it, they would just be like, I'm not going to go anywhere. So we could there could be millions of aquatic species out there. There could be millions of species that live underground with these underground lakes, like we find on Mars, like we find on these other moons. Like I think it's Titan that has a bunch of underground lakes. You don't even know space exists. And if you did figure it out and you're an aquatic species, you cannot leave. It just takes too much thrust to carry tons of water off the planet. If you even discover thrust rocket technology in the first place. I, 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 I do think it's very, very plausible that... I, I do believe there's aliens out there, obviously. And if there's a lot of aquatic species, we would never know it. And they would never know we existed. You could have a super intelligent species on Earth that lived long before us, that died out long before us, that would leave no fossil record. And even if you could find the fossils, it wouldn't say how smart they were. This is something I wouldn't dismiss out of hand. And I know scientists, that's what they do. They're like, well, you need to have proof. You just can't make these claims. But again, he, he's showing you the proof. He's asking you then, what's your answer? Fascinating story. I, and the fact that it was possibly drawing a picture of itself, right? Like a creature that wouldn't leave any fossils, but we know that it exists or that it might exist because it drew a picture of itself. I mean, that's that in and of itself is a really cool story. So I wanted to share that one with you. I really, really loved that one. Is it true? I mean, is this hypothesis true? Maybe he says the only way we'll be able to find out if these existed is if we find a giant beak from an octopus or a giant gladius. He goes, other than that, or a giant egg from one of them, fossilized. He goes, other than that, nothing else will ever prove they exist. And even if they find one of those, could they prove the drawing was intelligent? I guess we won't know. I guess we won't know until the squid dropships show up. They found the way to leave their planet. They're coming for revenge. Aaron, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the carbon copter. We're leaving behind the ocean. We are headed all the way out. To a suburban neighborhood. I found this story online. It's an interesting story. I have to be upfront with you, though. We don't have a date range, which sucks. I mean, obviously, we kind of want to know the key details. Who, what, when, where, why. Paranormal, we very rarely get the why and the how. But we don't have a time range for this. We don't have a location for this. We know it takes place in a basic suburban neighborhood. And I believe the story starts in the 60s just because of the Darth Vader reference that's coming up that I alluded to in the intro. But we're going to meet a young woman. She goes online by the moniker Chef Lisa O. So we'll just call her Lisa for short. And she makes the claim she grew up in a haunted house. She said she actually had, her room was above the garage. And every night, that's not her exercising, that's not her touching her toes. She hears footsteps walking upstairs. 
she would hear footsteps walking up the stairs, and she's like, no, not again, not again. And then she knew what was coming. She would start screaming at the top of her lungs, but no one in the house could hear her. I've actually experienced that. I'll put that in an episode in the show notes. That does fit with ghost lore, that sometimes ghosts can actually create some sort of sound bubble. So that's a terrifying part of it. You think safety in numbers, but there are times, and I've had it happen to me, you can scream at the top of your lungs and someone in the next room literally hears nothing. So she's screaming at the top of her lungs and a ghost would start beating her up. Uh, 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 working, doing, working the rib cage a little bit. Uh, 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 punching her in the face. And, and it's so funny because at the very beginning here, I'm not going to try to dissect this story too much, but at the very beginning here, this story has a weird balance of very credible information and then stuff that's so bizarre. Like, I've been in the situation where you can scream and nobody can hear you, but imagine if every... <laughs> this movie's happened every single night. She got beat up by a ghost. Like, eventually, she's going to come downstairs. She's all bruised. She's, like, wearing a sling, and the mom's like, how'd you sleep? And she's like, Mom, if I told you once, I told you twice. Every night, a ghost beats me up. Oh, you're just you're just faking. <laughs> Her kidneys are bleeding. She's like, Mom, can I go to the hospital again? So this story... And I'm not going to break... I'm not going to stop it every time, but I wanted to highlight that. This story is weird on more than one level. She would often hear, she'd be laying in bed. Why would you, like, just sleep on the couch, dude? But she'd be laying in bed. She wants to She wants to get up her boxing move. She's like, the only true opponent is the spirit opponent. She's fighting it. She's always losing, though. She'd be sleeping in her bed, and she would hear deep scratches from coming inside of her closet. She's like, oh, no, oh, no. She's, she's wrapping, her, wrapping her hands with tape getting ready to box. And then one day she asked her older brother, hey, would you go check? Would you go check on my closet? There might be a demon in there. I mean, I don't know if she's not going into her closet to get her clothes or anything. They're all covered with moths. I mean, obviously she's opening her closet to get clothes out, but okay, I'll try to, I'll try not to stop the story to analyze it too much because we're only two paragraphs in. The brother goes into the closet and he's kind of pushing around on the wall. That's how he checks stuff. I'm not going to be able to get through this story. That's how he checks stuff. He's like, hey, can you check out the car? He's just pushing on the carburetor. He's like, yeah, this seems to work. He goes in to check out the closet. And he's seen what could be causing the scratches. And he pushes. And he realizes that the closet actually has a bunch of drywall, which, you know, all houses do. But he's able to push through it. And there's a secret room on the other side of Lisa's closet. And they walk in there, and there is a small table, like an altar almost, and burnt candles. And then bones. Bird bones and dog bones. And Lisa implies maybe some of the bones are actually human. And there was also a book of spells and incantations. So they're like, what should I do with all of this demonic stuff? I know, I'll just throw it in the garbage. This is not doing me any good. I don't I don't know how to read these incantations. And I've already made enough bone stew for the week. So they throw all this stuff out and they find out in a roundabout way the history of the house, why they actually had this hidden room in the closet. It turns out before Lisa's family moved in there, another family lived there. And this was a family where they had a mom, a dad, and their son, Bart. And Bart was, this is, I mean, you don't get to choose your children, right? You have kids and hopefully they're cool and not super lame and stuff like that. But anyways, this dude was a worshiper of the Dark Lord and a pedophile. 
So that's a bad combination, right? Because basically, you're already a super disgusting human being, you're a pedophile, and then you're trying to use the the ways of the satanic forces around you to, I don't know, be like extra pedophilic. But anyways, he's a nutcase. And so he's living there with his mom and his dad. And the dad one day mysteriously vanishes. He's like walking, he's walking into the closet. He's like, oh, it's a portal. And Bart's like, one down, one to go. Well, the dad mysteriously vanishes. And then his mom fell down the stairs in the house. And she tumbled so far. Uh, it could have been three stairs. <laughs> I don't know how far she fell. But it was far enough and hard enough that she needed a wheelchair after she fell down the stairs. So... Bart was like, oh, man, he's like wheeling his mom around. He's like, oh, man, I really love to worship Satan, but instead I got to take my mom to the clinic. Aw. So anyways, the family moved out. It probably wasn't wheelchair accessible. <laughs> there were a bunch of stairs that she fell down. So I don't think they could have lived there anymore. So they moved out. But what happened was Bart would still come by the house to visit. Now, well, he wasn't welcome. They didn't, like, let him in the house. They're like, teen crumpets. He's all levitating them. He's like, oh, yes. Nom, nom, nom. Satan gives me more powers each day. He would show up, and usually on Saturdays, right? He'd show up like every Saturday, and he would stand in the front yard talking to the trees. He'd just be having these conversations with the trees, and people are like, "Dude, you're super nuts, right?" This is before this is before they found his portal in her closet. They just thought he was a weirdo. And then one day, when Lisa's mom is walking through the front yard, Bart turns to her and says, "You, you will die a violent death." And she's like, "What?" I don't think he was allowed allowed back at the house after that. That would definitely, you'd get a restraining order after that. But he stopped showing up at some point, and the house is greeted with a new visitor. El Greco. (laughs) He's a tiny little demon man who starts walking around the house, and he goes, my name is El Greco, and welcome to my home. You're the one paying the mortgage payments. <laughs> I'm a roommate you can never get rid of. And this little El Greco guy would kind of, like, stalk around the house. I don't know. This story is so weird, because they introduce El Greco, and I'll tell you right now, he doesn't really do anything. He just kind of, like, hops on plates and dances. Actually, he doesn't even do that. He just is there. He just is there. My imagine, my whimsical imagination imagined him with a little top hat. But no, he just kind of is like hanging out in the house. The demon who really makes a mark on this story is described as a large black figure. The mom starts to describe this large dark figure that will be standing in the house. She's like, oh, dude, it's super scary. Like this guy shows up and he has like on a cape and his face is all weird and stuff like that. And he just like walks around and he's super spooky, right? She's trying to describe what this demon looks like to her family because no one else can see it. And they're like, uh, I'm sure we found the portal to hell in my closet and I get beat up every night by the ghost. But I don't know what you're talking about. You're talking about El Greco. I haven't seen that dude. And you're talking about this giant black demon walking around. And she can't really, like, explain it. Like, he's dressed in all black. He has his black cape. He has this weird-looking helmet. But one day, this is why I think the story takes place in the 1960s, because now we're jumping ahead to 1977. They've been living in this haunted house for a long time. They all go to see Star Wars at the movie theater. The first one, right? And she's watching the movie, opening crawl, all that copyrighted music. Laser beams, and the stormtroopers getting shot and rebels throwing bombs and whatever. And then the door opens up and out comes 
the demon from their house. She, When she saw Darth Vader walk on screen, the mom started to lose it because she goes, that is what the demon looks like. Not El Greco. El Greco's right here. He's like in the popcorn. He's like, nom, 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 nom. El Greco came with us. The giant, large, black demon I've been seeing in my house looks exactly like Darth Vader. It doesn't say whether or not they finished. It doesn't say whether or not they finished watching the movie. Because on the one hand, Star Wars, what a great film, right? On the other, on the other hand, the demon who's haunting your house is in it. I don't know if I could watch the first Matrix if Lawrence Fishburne kept breaking into my house and beating me up. I don't think I could do it. But again, another great movie. So at this point, Lisa's like 14 years old. She spent her entire early life in this haunted house. And her mom starts to act weird, right? which, is, which is a really high bar because she's already talking about Darth Vader hanging out in her kitchen and El Greco running around. She starts to act like she's possessed and she begins to hallucinate. And one of the, this is terrifying, one of the hallucinations she saw that she specifically names of this, that Lisa, one of the hallucinations that the mother saw was she would be walking through the house and her kids would be running around or reading books or like jumping, playing star, playing with stars, action figures. She's like, no, no, you're part of the, you're part of the conspiracy. She would be watching her kids and then they would start to slow down and then freeze and then turn to statues. She'd be staring at these lifeless sculptures of her children just standing there in the living room. That terrifies me. That type of that level of mental illness terrifies me because you think about it, the kids are still moving around, right? That the real the real world is still going on, but she's seen them frozen in place, like not like statues. They became stone. You know what I mean? Like two, that's a, that's a, another layer of reality, almost like an overhead projector just laying on top of it while reality still moves. That type of thing absolutely freaks me out. And she starts to, during this time period where she's possessed and hallucinating, she starts to know things that she shouldn't know. Not like advanced algebra. She's learning, like she knew that her husband got in a car wreck and she's sitting there and she's like, he got in a crash. He got in a crash. And they're like, what are you talking about? And then they get a phone call later. The, the, the dad survived, but he's in a car accident. And she said that El Greco told her. El Greco's like, <laughs> guess who's not coming home for dinner tonight? <laughs> she starts hearing voices. <laughs> That's really de-escalation, right? She's seeing all this hideous stuff. And then the other things, she hears voices. She smells burnt hair. That's pretty gross. Neurological problem, right? Neurological problem. Look at it like a skeptic. The story, though, concludes with Bart's prophecy coming true. The mother starts telling the family, hey, listen, I know things, I know things have been really stressful, me, me being possessed and all, but tonight I heard a conversation upstairs. It wasn't any of you guys. I'm not accusing any of you guys. But I heard a man and a woman talking upstairs, and they said, it's time for her to die. To be honest, I'm really, really nervous about that. Because it's me and then Lisa, I think, is the only other girl in the house. So it's one of us. It's probably me, right? Because I was prophesied to have a violent death. And I, I imagine at this point, you would be like, oh, can, do we have to take her to the hospital again? Like, at this point, you would have to really believe your mom was suffering from some serious mental illness. Because you're not really seeing any of this stuff. I mean, to be fair, Lisa did get beat up every night by a ghost. I don't think she's a skeptic. I don't think she was like, oh, but Darth Vader, that's ridiculous. And she's getting punched in the liver. Ugh. The next night, the next night, the very next night, the mother bolts out of the house, 
runs into the road and is hit by two cars. And as she's laying there dying on the road, she's still clutching her Bible. She's holding tightly to her Bible, hoping for more peace in the afterlife than she had in the last few years of this life. Obviously super tragic. And how do you, again, explain that? Did she have a psychotic break? Did she run into the road? Did she see something that scared her so badly? Like, how did this happen? And for months afterwards, when Elisa was brushing her hair or brushing her teeth or, or just walking by a mirror of any kind, her mother would be standing behind her. And her mother would just be mouthing something. Mama. Trying to communicate with Lisa. And you could never make out the words. It was just silent. But she could see her mom's tortured gaze locked on her as her mouth silently opened and closed. Trying to tell her something. This goes on for months and Lisa almost has a nervous breakdown. <laughs> this would go on for three days or me. I'd have a nervous breakdown. This goes on for months and Lisa's on the edge. She, she knows her mom wants to tell her something, but she can't figure out what it is for the life of her. And then one night, her mom shows up in the bedroom and Lisa immediately relaxes. Like she feels all of this tension leave her body. And the mom says, I didn't run out of the house because I was crazy. I was murdered by Darth Vader. <laughs> I was murdered by the Darth Vader guy. He was in the house. This all happened at 3 a.m. This all happened at 3 a.m. I, I was sitting there in the house and Darth Vader showed up. <laughs> He's like, I want the plans for the Death Star. And I ran out and Darth Vader was chasing me through the house and I grabbed the Bible thinking it would protect me in some way, but it didn't. And I run out the front door and Darth Vader's close on my heels and then I run into the road and I'm run over by two cars. And then after that, the spirit of her mom stopped visiting her. After that, the haunting of the house seemed to cease. I believe they just moved out of the house, which is what I would have done the first year of getting beat up by a ghost. Fascinating story. Obviously, there's two ways we can look at this. One is a mental health way, right? Because the, all of the stuff the mom's going through could easily be attributed to mental illness. Possessions, the burnt hair. It's so funny because we deal in the paranormal world, we deal with possessions, we deal with ghosts, we deal with voices. All of that stuff is pretty normal in the world of the paranormal. When you add in the smell of burnt hair, that's really, when I was reading the narrative, I go, this does seem neurological. That's something you don't normally smell. You have the stereotypical smell of sulfur, which a lot of times could be some sort of methane leak, which it could also cause you to hallucinate if you're around it for too long. But uh, the burnt hair, I was thinking she might just be having strokes that's causing all of these all of these disconnections in her brain. So, the, And that's obviously something we do want to address. It's the easiest thing to just go, ah, she was just crazy. But it, how exhausting would that be, like even if it was just craziness? But then you look, you go, well, Jason, if the mom was crazy and she's hallucinating El Greco, what about the daughter? Like she was getting beat up by the ghost. She was she crazy? Was she beating herself up? I you know, it's interesting because when you look, this is one of the things I like about Reddit. One of the few things I like about Reddit. I think the website's a cesspool of the most disgusting humans on the planet. But other than that, I can look at people's post histories. And not to like discredit people, not to be like, oh, you also like this political party? Pfft, you're dumb. Not like that. 
I like to look at it because I like to see if they're posting stuff that is equally far-fetched. I can look at stuff and go, is this someone who's always posting once-in-a-lifetime stories? Because if it's someone who posts once-in-a-lifetime stories over and over and over again, it starts to seem like they're making it up. To be fair, I've been ghost hunting for 23 years, and I do have my fair share of once-in-a-lifetime stories as well. So it's not an automatic strike against her. She does go on to say that she once ran into like a serial killer, a gay serial killer. I don't know if that meant he was killing gay people or if he was gay himself, but he gave her a giant... <laughs> a giant garbage bag full of Beanie Babies. And she also said when she's an adult and she has a daughter that Jesus was stalking her daughter. Like, there is this weird stalker outside of her window. And she, her daughter would be like, Mommy, Mommy, the visitor's back, the visitor's back. And then Lisa would go outside and there were these giant footprints. There was only one set of footprints. That's when Jesus was carrying the stalker to safety. They would find these uh, set of footprints that are like 11 inches. So not giant, giant, but... And then one day they were at church and the minister was showing a picture of Jesus. This picture of him photoshopped with his arm around Jesus. He's like, look at Jesus is my best buddy. You should join my church. They had like a, not a photo of Jesus, obviously, but a drawing of Jesus, like a painting. And the little girl goes, that's him. That's the visitor who's peeking through my windows at night. And it was Jesus. Jesus was the stalker. Now, listen, I know humans can look like Jesus. Obviously, Jesus was a human. But, I mean, you can, it's an easy look to copy, right? I've known people that pull out the Jesus look. So it could just have been, it could have been a stalker that looked like Jesus. <laughs> We're in the world of paranormal. It could have been Jesus. When I read stories like that, it doesn't discredit Lisa at all. It does... It's interesting because I'm not going to throw out... The, those are weird once-in-a-lifetime stories as well. They don't really dismiss everything. I don't go, oh, it's obviously... This woman's obviously making stuff up or anything like that. Those stories are weird, though, and they do add color. Because even her story, the story about her mom, I should say, involves Darth Vader. <laughs> like, I mean, like, right off the bat. But what's so interesting is that Darth Vader does look like a spooky dude. Like, to us, he's a toy, and I think he's one of the best villains in the original trilogy, at least. Uh, I do think that that is a very menacing figure, and, and who knows that maybe George Lucas got the... <laughs> Lucas's partner was El Greco. And El Greco secretly wrote the original trilogy. That's why those movies are so much better than all the other ones. I did like the prequels. But the point is, when somebody's telling you a ghost story and you're like, oh my God, the ghost was coming to your room. And she's like, yeah, he was beating me up every night. You go, every night? It's interesting. Like, it's little details that make you go, mm. like, if it beats you up occasionally, <laughs> if it beats you up every couple months or something like that, maybe. But every night, that's obvious proof like you could just bring someone to the house on a wednesday and they, they get beat up and that's proof so it's stuff like that like sometimes it, sometimes the details are too weird even we just covered a squid that drew a picture of itself with dinosaur bones but getting beat up every night's a little too weird the darth vader thing even though he's a menacing character that's still really weird that darth vader was chasing this woman around the house it's a story. It's one of those stories that is so ridiculous, it might become so ridiculous, it's true. So was this the story of a woman in the throes of some sort of mental illness, some sort of madness that was so out of control, not only did she run out into the middle of the street to get hit by two cars, but she also spread that mental illness throughout her family. It went from being in her head to almost mass psychosis. 
I really don't know. I don't know if I'd rather live in a haunted house or have... Actually, I know the answer to this one. If I had to choose between a debilitating mental illness or living in a haunted house, even if the demon was a killer, I'd live in the haunted house. Because I, I can go get an exorcist. I can maybe sublet the room above the garage to somebody I don't like. I'd much rather do that. Curses and hauntings can be passed on to the next generation. But so can mental illness. That's the case. That's what this story is about. It's not scary or terrifying. It's just really, really kind of sad. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. 